following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. So you have read Pew Bibles. Um, if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 13. Now, I want to point out something. This is probably a pretty well-known scripture. So what I'm hoping will happen for me today is that I hear it not from past use of it, but for today, for now, how God wants to speak to me. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I only know part, then I will know fully. Even as I have been fully known, and now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these, is love. All right, as promised, I do have a sermon today. Uh, It's going to be short and simple. And so I'd like to turn our attention to the gospel story that you heard read just a moment ago from the lectionary. Um, You may have noticed, if you're really paying attention today and last week, that it picked up uh, right where last week's gospel reading left off. We had that gospel reading read uh, before the children's moment last week. And you may recall that Jesus had gone into the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. And he had read from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And when he finished reading, he said something that must have been very alarming. He said, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That is a pretty bold statement. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled right here in front of you. Now, the people didn't like that very much. Uh, see, they, they had known Jesus since he was knee-high to a grasshopper. They had probably seen him do all kinds of dumb and annoying things, the things that 
all of us, except not any of the current artists and children, did when we were children. (laughs) I imagine that they had probably yelled at him to get down off that stack of chairs, uh, or to be careful not to knock the the lamps off the table, (laughs) or to not run in synagogue, or whatever it might have been. And so the idea that he was the fulfillment of these prophetic, messianic, sacred texts, that was a little bit rich for the people in the synagogue that day. And that's where you get the, isn't that just, isn't that Joseph's son? But that was just the beginning of the trouble that Jesus was about to get into. That was the tip of the iceberg. Claiming to be the Messiah, it was pretty easy, I I sense, for them to dismiss as nonsense. But what he said next would so enrage the people that they would literally try to kill him. They wanted to drag him out of the synagogue and throw him off a cliff. And the only reason they didn't is because he had some Steph Curry moves and just (laughs) spun his way out of there. Did you notice what he said when Chris read it a moment ago? Did it make sense to you that after he said those things that people would want to kill him? It's very easy to miss what's happening here. But what he's doing is challenging the notion of which people God cares about. Take a look at it with me if you, if you want to. It's, it's Luke uh, 4. And the verses that are in question here are... Um, starting with 25. He says, the truth is there were many widows in Israel. That's the key place. There were many widows in Israel at the time of Elijah. This is one of the prophets of Israel. When the heaven was shut up three years and six months, there's a severe famine over the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them, meaning none of the widows in Israel, none of the widows who were part of the community of faith that that you all believe was the one that God cared most about. And he was sent to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. Sidon is, um, it's not even the other side of town, it's the, it's the other place. He went on to say, there were also many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. God didn't see fit to cleanse any of the lepers who were part of the uh, acceptable group, the Israelites. God so chose to heal through the prophet Elisha the Syrian leper. The, that's a very Gentile leper. <laughs> I've never used that particular phrase before, a very Gentile leper. But that's who Naaman the Syrian was. And that's what made the people want to kill Jesus. How dare you suggest, using stories from our own sacred scripture, that God's, God at times... Is, seems more concerned with the people who we've put outside of our circle than us. That's a huge part of Jesus' ministry, pointing out to people that not only does God want to pursue and care for and heal and redeem people who are on the margins and beyond the margins, but God has actually already been doing that all along, and y'all just missed it. This is what the season of Epiphany is about. We started the season of Epiphany by observing the moment when the gospel was revealed to the Gentiles, when the Magi came to to visit with the child Jesus. And that's what Jesus did throughout his life. That's part of what he accomplished in his death and resurrection. 
And that's work that I believe Jesus is still doing today. Jesus' hands and feet and body are physically not present on earth except in the form of the church, the body of Christ. So it's my strong belief that if we consider ourselves to be faithful followers of Jesus, we have to take up that part of his work too. And telling uh, the religious establishment that God wants to do work outside the religious establishment is, that's prophetic work. I realize I'm essentially in one sense talking to a religious establishment right now, right? So may God bring this home for me and for each of us. It's prophetic work, it's difficult work, it is work that can get us into trouble in certain parts of the world. I might even say uh, in our own part of the world, this can get you harmed or killed. It's also work that causes us, as often as not, to have to examine our own hearts and our own behaviors to see if we are the ones who have forgotten just how wide God's welcome actually is. Now, at the benediction today, you'll hear our uh, fourth lectionary reading from the Hebrew Bible, one of the prophets of Israel. It's from Jeremiah chapter 1. And the words are good, affirming words. They're words that Jeremiah recounts having had spoken over him by the Lord when he was called to be a prophet. And these are amazing words for you to hear, particularly if you think of yourself as someone who's called to any kind of prophetic work, which on some level should be all of us. But particularly if you're a young person, because Jeremiah was a young person at this time. So I want you to listen for those words at the benediction. I keep saying, going like this because it's going to be right here that the words are spoken, right? That person will be a little taller. (laughs) But I want to give you a few of those words right now, a couple of those verses right now, because they are incredibly poignant for those of us who believe that our work as followers of Jesus has to include getting beyond the barriers that, that human systems have set up. So the words are from Jeremiah 1, and it's verses 9 and 10. And Jeremiah says these words. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, now I have put words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Do you see the ideas that are in tension there? To destroy and to overthrow and to build and to plant. Prophetic work involves pulling down oppressive systems, destroying, overthrowing. But that's not all that prophetic work entails. Our work also has to include building and planting. And I think sometimes the prophetic work of our day leads us to find ourselves in constant destruction mode. We get so fired up, rightly fired up, about the injustice in the world that we start pulling things down or trying to and And often what we do is make a mess. And we fail to give a thought to what comes next. 
And of course, in the uh, Dr. Heal Thyself category of the sermon today, some of us have the opposite problem. We want to move too quickly to building and planting. We want to be peacemakers. Uh, but we, we move to the work of building and planting before the decrepit, condemned buildings have been torn down, before the weeds have been pulled up. And the problem with that is that we, that doesn't help us flourish either because what we build and plant doesn't have a sturdy or a healthy starting point. So I think this is one of our most difficult tasks as peacemakers, as prophets, as workers for justice in the world is now a moment to destroy and overthrow or is now a moment to build and plant? Maybe more importantly, am I a person who is called to be a destroyer and a puller down? Puller downer? (laughs) Or am I called to be a person who's a builder and a planter? Am I a puller of weeds or a planter of seeds? And how do I coexist in a community of faith where God has gifted somebody else to be the one that I'm not gifted to be? How do we work together, destroyers and builders, to accomplish a a whole picture of shalom, peace, justice in the world? And so as I close here, I I actually want to give you a a moment of silent reflection to think about um, your role what God's calling you to, and what God's calling us to as a, as a community. So if you would be willing to uh, f- find whatever posture is best for reflection for you, whether that's seated one way or another, or hands folded or, or open, eyes closed, whatever works for you, I want to ask you to consider a few questions in a moment of silence before I pray. Here's the questions. Am I a destroyer, an uprooter, a puller of weeds? Or am I a builder, a repairer, someone who plants seeds? And right now in this moment, do I sense God calling me to lean more into that particular role? Or is God perhaps calling me out of my comfort zone into the other role? Or am I called to seek more balance right now? And then lastly, given the answers to those questions, what is my place in this local church community where I exist with people who may have different answers to those questions? So reflect on that for just a moment before I pray. Spirit of God, you have gifted each person in this room uniquely for their particular role in God's kingdom and in this local body of Christ. We hear the words, one body with many parts, and it sounds beautiful, and then we try to put it into practice and find it difficult and painful and frustrating. 
So we pray for your grace and mercy in our community as we seek to obey your call to care for all people, to love all people, to include all people, to seek justice and shalom in our community, in our city, and in our world. Help us to do that alongside each other, even when we are gifted in different ways, called to different types of work. We pray that the same spirit that gifted each person in this room would be present as the body moves forward into the calling that you've given it. Bless us and keep us, we pray. And make us into prophets. In Christ's name, amen. This is why the communion table is so important. It's, it's, it is the place of unity. It's the leveling of the playing field. Jesus says to each one of you, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Drink this cup. This is my blood which is shed for the forgiveness of sins. So I invite you to come to take communion remembering that it's an act of unity with each other, receiving the grace that's on offer, experiencing the real presence of Jesus, the body and blood of the Savior. We'll continue to sing as that happens. Our uh, prayer team representative is at the back of the room if you'd like to receive prayer. Um, As you come to the table, you'll notice the various options with types of bread and uh, juice. Use the one that's most appropriate for you and your family. Our table is open. I invite you to come and receive. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.